I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is neurologist and author Aisha Akhtar, MD. Her new book is Our Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destinies. It's no secret that animals bring an undeniable joy into our lives, but the impact of animals from our pets to farm animals to the undomesticated is far greater than we might think. According to Dr. Akhtar, we all share a natural empathy and compassion for animals, yet we often ignore it in order to consume, wear, and treat animals the way society expects us to. Without feeling remorse. Using her personal and professional experience, her book shows how deeply the well-being of humans and animals are entwined. Dr. Ashta is the Deputy Director of the Army's Traumatic Brain Injury Program, is a Lieutenant Commander in the U.S. Public Health Service, and is double board certified in both neurology and preventative medicine. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Doctor. Thank you so much, Catherine. All right, so what are we talking about when we're talking about empathy towards animals and how the impact that it has on us and obviously on the impact of the lives of animals and how we're so intertwined? Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, you know, you know, you think about it. So three-fourths of Americans, American families have companion animals, and, you know, we're increasingly... Uh, more connected to those animals. We, you know, it, long gone are the days when dogs were out in dog houses in the garden and chained by, you know, short, short lengths. And, uh, gone are the days when cats were just these creatures that we kind of saw once in a while and, you know, we fed them, but that was it. We now have animals and we brought them into our home. We bring them, they sleep on the bed with us. You know, they're part of our families. And even our language is changing to reflect our connection with, with animals. You know, we're no longer calling ourselves owner and, and calling them pet. We're now, you know, father or mother or parent or guardian, and, and there are children or our companion animals. And so when you think about it, you know, there's no other species out there that routinely goes out and adopts other animals, right, animals from other species. We're the only ones that do that. And we hear about other animals, obviously, adopting, um, you know, a, 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 a pig, for example, adopting a, a stray, stray chicken or something like that once in a while, but not routinely. So the human species is the only one that routinely goes out and seeks other animals. And, um, you know, and as I, I was very curious about this as a neurologist, partly because of a personal story, and plus just professionally, I wanted to know why. Where, where does that desire come from? And from my studies, you know, I've really found that we, as a human species, we have an innate empathy for animals. We have this innate desire to connect with other species. We see that especially with children, right? Because, you know, children just have this natural curiosity about other animals. And I wanted to explore that. Where does that empathy come from? What are the uh, forms that empathy can take? And then also to look at what happens when we try to suppress that empathy and what causes us to suppress that empathy? You know, what, what allows us to cause cruelty and harm and suffering to animals? So that was, the, um, that was part of the inspiration behind this book. All right, so let's take the first part of it, uh, which is 
I guess the positive part, I would, I guess, um, empathy. And what does that do for us when we are, and you're talking about our, our pets, obviously, and some people even, I think, treat pets almost, and you alluded to that as, as people, as children, um, and sort of, I don't know if you would say anthropomorphize them, but there is something to that. Um, but so what are the benefits for so, empathy? Um, yeah. Yeah. So just, just, if we're looking at with just companion animals, that daily contact with animals, we're seeing actual physical and psychological benefits. So we um, studies have shown there is there is one study that was done in the 1970s. It was sort of a groundbreaking study at the time, um, and uh, the, the researchers looked at people who um, had had a recent cardiac event. They had a heart attack. And they looked at their uh, longevity one year out to see how many who who was still alive basically one year after the the heart attack, and they looked at all kinds of social factors and other things that can influence the people's lives. And one of them was animal companionship. And of all the things they looked at, only animal companionship had a significant effect on the um, the longevity of of and the health of these individuals that they were studying. Basically what they found was that um, having an animal companion, it could have been a dog, it could have been a cat, significantly increased their chances of being alive one year after the cardiac event. And so this, as I mentioned before, it was either dogs or cats. So it had nothing necessarily to do with people having dogs and just going out and walking dogs and having improved cardiac effect from that. No, it was something else. And so since then, a lot of studies have shown that being with animals um, it can help calm our, our, our systems. It can improve our cardiac response to stress. It can lower our cholesterol. Um, it can uh, reduce our, high, high, our, our blood pressure, to, especially for those who have high blood pressure. Um, and it can prolong life for those of us with good relationships with animals. So those are some of the physical effects. And so the psychological, we're also finding that animal companionship can reduce loneliness, can reduce anxiety, can reduce depression. Um, so we're seeing these tremendous benefits that we can get when we are around animals. I mean, you think about it, you know, when you're playing with your dog or you're, you know, caressing a purring cat, your blood pressure, you can just feel your blood pressure going down. You can just feel the stress being relieved. And this is something that's somewhat unique with other animals. It's not something that we necessarily get with human companions because other humans can stress, our, <laughs> stress us out, right? right. Um, so, but animals, uh, they're, I guess it's because of their unconditional love, and they're not other humans competing with us in some way. They help reduce our stress levels and improve our health in ways that are very unique. Okay, so they're helping us. They're not challenging us, as you say, like other human beings can. I think they also help us to get out of ourselves in a way. I don't know if you're saying that and exactly, but we sort of, in this sort of empathy we have and the calmness and lowering our blood pressure, we're focusing on the animal and our and and not focusing on our own necessarily fears and and worries and all of those kinds of things. So we establish this relationship with with animals. Um, 
I, I, we've known this for a while, I guess maybe intuitively, but what you're saying, actually, there's scientific evidence to prove that this happens. There are actually physical changes in us when we connect with animals, whether it's a dog or a cat or, I guess, any other animal, too, that we've domesticated. That's, that's exactly right. And it's, it's with any animal, you know, if, if you have a good relation, a good empathetic relationship with the animal. So it could be with a chicken, it could be with a mouse, it could be with any critter out there, basically. As long as you're not scared or you don't feel threatened or indifferent to that animal, you may get that kind of direct physical and psychological benefit. Now, um, you personally, and, I want to and, stop you there because I know you yeah. have a personal story that's related to this, um, that there was a, or was or is a dog in your life that actually changed your life. Um, can you talk to us about that? Sure. Um, yeah. So um, when I was a, a child, for about five years, I was sexually abused by an uncle. And... Um, it started when we, my family and I were living in England, and then we moved to America, and we lived in Arlington, Virginia, and the sexual abuse continued there because my uncle would come and visit us many times a year. After we moved to America, my grandparents followed us from London, and they moved next door to the building next door, so they were, they were pretty much our, our neighbors. We, you know, I was there all the time. They had adopted a dog um, and named him Sylvester, and I was nine years old at the time. I had never known an animal before. Uh, you know, we never had dogs or cats in, in my life before that, but Sylvester and I, we just, you know, we were the best of friends, and I know a lot of other people will say that they've had this relationship as children as well. Um, so I saw Sylvester basically every day. Unfortunately, at some point, I had recognized that Sylvester was also being abused. He was being physically abused by another uncle. And um, for a long time, this was, this was something that was incredibly uh, just distressful for me. I was, you know, distraught. I didn't know what to do. But um, because, because he was an uncle who was abusing Sylvester and he was older than me, I... I took in his rationality for abusing Sylvester. He said he was training Sylvester to, to be housebroken. And I accepted his rationality for a long time. But uh, at some point, I, uh, I realized that that rationality wasn't, um, wasn't a, a viable excuse for the abuse. And I learned to speak up for Sylvester. Um, I learned to, uh, to, to tell my uncle who was abusing Sylvester, that he couldn't do that anymore. And that eventually taught me to speak up against my own abuse. It gave me the courage to speak up against my own abuse as well, and I was able to end my abuse. So it was a good story in a sense that, you know, I was able to, because of my love and empathy for Sylvester, I gained the courage to end his abuse and mine. And so, and I realized it was, it was, my empathy for Sylvester that gave me that courage. So there was a personal story I had, which was the inspiration for my book, but also as a neurologist, as a professional, I wanted to explore that. How do the lives of animals influence ours? And, you know, you think about it, we, we know that everything we do in life can affect our health and well-being. We know that how we eat, 
how we play, how we work, how we govern ourselves, uh, where we live, who, who we live with, and things like that. We know that everything we do can influence our health. But medicine has really overlooked one crucial factor that has existed for, since our beginning, which is our relationships with animals. And although there are some studies, like we mentioned before, about cardiovascular health and so on, medicine hasn't really taken a real good look at the overall issue of how our relationships with animals can influence our well-being and vice versa. So the, the story, my personal story, as well as my professional curiosity about why, why do animals affect us the way they do? And, uh, you know, how, how, how do our relationships, good and bad, with animals affect our well-being? And that led to my writing this book. Dr. Ashtar, you're talking about uh, medicine, which is interesting, uh, over the, I guess it hasn't really, really looked at the impact that the relationship that, that people have with animals and the positive impact that it, that it has on, on, um, on humans. Why do you think that is? You know, it's a good question. Um, I, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I think, so, you know, when I was in, um, in medical school, I remember there was an incident when I was doing rotations at a psychiatric hospital. And at the time, my, my cat, um, Aslan, got severely ill. And um, he, he had feline leukemia before I rescued him off the streets, and he was finally succumbing to the disease. And at and then one night, it was a Thursday night, I rushed him three and a half hours to this emergency specialty hospital, and unfortunately nothing could be done, and, and Aslan had died. And the next morning, early the next morning, I called the psychiatrist in charge of my rotation, and I was crying, I was really upset, and I had asked him if I could have that day off uh, to grieve. I was up all night with Aslan. And the psychiatrist said no. And it was a real rude awakening for me because I realized that, uh, you know, there other physicians just did not see our relationship with animals the way I did. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't even recognize how uh, impactful our relationships with animals can be and how, or even how important my, the relationship I had with Aslan was. And so, um, you know, I... It, it's it's an it's an unusual thing. I I don't know quite why. I wish I could give you a good answer as to why people in medicine haven't really recognized this. I'm hoping that will change, and it's been one of my missions is to change that to get um, the medical field to really take a look at our relationships with animals, and not just our relationship with our companion animals, because there are studies being done on that. But to look at at beyond our companion animals, to look at um, you know, how our, our bad relationships, we know when we hurt animals, when we hurt animals in factory farms and in laboratories, does that hurt us as well? And not just as individuals, but as a society. And that's one of the things I explore in the book as well. And basically, you know, it, I, it's, I've come to the strong conclusion that when we treat animals with kindness and respect, we benefit but when we treat them with harm and disrespect and when we're cruel to them, we, get, uh, we, we harm ourselves as well. And, uh, we're and there are finding some very, that, I'm going to interrupt you because there yeah. are, listening to your TEDx talk, 
uh, it was kind of frightening. It was a, and a little bit depressing, but it was uplifting at the end, which was good because you're telling us what we can do to promote a good relationship with animals. But you really are very specific about, and I think that's why your book is so groundbreaking because what we're doing um, to animals, for instance, you talk about, and I never really thought about this, uh, factory farms. We have these huge factory farms of animals, chickens and pigs and these slaughterhouses, um, and how that specifically affects our physical health as a community, as, as a country, in terms of our, our, well, our physical health. Talk to us about that, because um, I never really made the connection, and I'm sure many other people haven't either. Sure. So, you know, factory farm, you think about it, you're cramming chickens like five in a cage or, uh, you know, a thousand pigs, sometimes uh, 10,000 pigs into one shed, uh, into one long building. And these, you know, we're, we're putting these animals into incredibly tighter and tighter spaces. And that can lead to a lot of public health impacts. And we know that there's environmental impact from these factory farms. Uh, you know, a pig farm, for example, can produce, a pig farm of, t- of like a thousand pigs can produce as much manure as a human city of 50,000 people. And, you know, we think about it, we're, what are we doing with all that manure? We're spraying onto our crop fields, and that's another thing that's causing salmonella on our spinach and E. coli on our, 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 on our sprouts because we're spraying this liquid manure onto our fields because we don't know what to do with it. There's just so much of it. Um, those, so we're getting this environmental impact. We're, we're poisoning our water, our land, and our air. And it's also leading to an increase in infectious diseases. I mentioned salmonella and E. coli, but also uh, bird flus and swine flus, influenzas. And the reason why is because these animals, they're so distressed, they're so miserable, trapped into these small spaces um, that their immune systems are down. And that makes them more prone to catching infectious diseases from each other and then spreading it on. And, of course, the, close, the closeness of, of their living existence um, makes it easier for an infectious disease like a virus to pass from one animal to another. So we've been seeing viruses coming out from factory farms increasing over the past 10 years at a ridiculous rate. We're getting swine flus and bird flu sweeping across factory farms in the U.S. and throughout the world. And, you know, these one day, one of these influenza viruses will likely be something that's really going to harm us. Um, and influenza can be the worst. It's, it's actually worse than, um, uh, than uh, Ebola, for example, because it, we, it's so easy to catch and spread on to another person. So uh, we're seeing an incredible risk of infectious disease coming from factory farms and environmental causes. We're also seeing climate change, and we now know that factory farming, animal agriculture as a whole, is one of the greatest contributors to our climate change, more so than the entire transportation sector combined. So one of the... yeah. yeah, we have two minutes left, so okay. give us a summation, and then, uh, of course, I recommend the book, and uh, listeners have to get out there, because there's so much more in the book that we haven't had, obviously, an opportunity to uh, to talk about, and give us the website that we can go to uh, to get more information. Sure. So, yeah, the book is, you know, it's, it's overall, it's a very positive book. I just want to make that uh, <laughs> statement. It's... Uh, 
Um, but it's called Our Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destinies. And it's, um, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's available on just about every book site you can imagine. Um, my website is www.aishaaktar.com, which is A-Y-S-H-A-A-K-H-T-A-R.com. I will tell you right now that my website's been hacked, <laughs> so we're working hard to get that back up. So if anyone's out there trying to get onto my website, uh, just try back in a few days if you're not able to get on at the moment. Great. Great talking to you today with a lot of really very interesting information, and it is positive, I have to say. Yes, I'll reiterate that. There are answers. There are solutions. I guess we just have to be aware of what the issues are, and yours is a, as, as I said before, a groundbreaking book. One of the, I guess you are the first physician to write a book like this in terms of the relationship between animals and, and humans. Um, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 